I found out soon that that was about the only thing I could actually trust my coworkers for. I would climb up like three stories up a ladder and be hanging off and they would go take a smoke break. And, and I'm just up there while the, the, the ladder's shaking. Did I mention I hate heights too? So just combining all of that. And uh, it just felt like it was purposeless work. Like it, it felt like there was nothing behind it. And it all came to a head for my wife and I. I worked there for a few months and we stepped away for, we went to New York for Christmas break and we came back and like I said, we were young, so we might have gone a little bit too hard that year for Christmas. Uh, we came back with $200 in our bank account, and uh, I got a call from my boss to let me know that he was going to be letting me go of the job. And I remember being just devastated. I had never been let go of a job before. I'd, I'd never even been bad at the jobs I had done, but they just didn't have the money to, to pay a fourth guy, and I was the the last hire, so I was the one who they were asking to leave, and I can just remember in those few weeks following it, it just, it was hard to put my trust in God. Like, it was hard to really believe that the money was going to come in, that a a job was going to open itself up, that there was going to be a path forward, And, and I share all that with you today because I don't think I'm the only one here today who's had their life shaken up in some form. You know, maybe it was you, you, you went to university and you were a little idealistic like me and you thought you were just going to have that perfect job when you left and that was going to keep leading to more raises and a better and better job and, and you haven't landed that dream job. You're working a job that you don't enjoy. Maybe, maybe it was a, a family situation. You imagined having so many kids or, or your, your relationship with your kids would be a certain way and they just keep making these decisions that you know aren't right for them. Or, or maybe it was, you know, you, you got married to your spouse and you thought that'd result in 60 years of eating cake and watching Netflix together and, and marital bliss. And, and it just, you guys can't stop arguing. And what was supposed to be this bright promise of a future just feels like it keeps getting worse. You notice how when we're in those Houghton College seasons, when we're surrounded by community, we're surrounded by good things happening and in jobs with purpose, it's really easy to praise God and it's really easy to have faith in those seasons. But what happens to our faith when all the dreams we had, when, when the future we had planned for ourselves slowly begins to fall apart in front of us? How do you have unshakable faith in the face of so much adversity. Now, lucky for us, we're not the first people to struggle with this. Over the next nine weeks, we're going to be looking at the book of Daniel. It's found in the Old Testament. And the book of Daniel is all about this young man who is taken from his home country in Israel and planted in a a country where he doesn't speak the language. Uh, He's far from his family. He'll probably never see his family again. And to top all that off, this nation is actually hostile to his beliefs. They, they, want, they want him to change his beliefs in God, and they, they want to break down his very identity as an Israelite. And what we're going to find out, spoiler alert, is that as he moves through, uh, through his life and faces all this adversity, somehow he's able to come out on the other side with unshakable faith. Like those, that adversity he faces doesn't weaken his faith, it actually strengthens it. 
And so over the next nine weeks, we're going to be looking at that both here in our weekly service and in our small groups. And I just encourage you, if you haven't gotten plugged into a small group yet, today is the day to do it. Grab a red card in front of you and please, please fill it out. Um, I think this study, whether you're 15 or you're 85 or somewhere in between, is going to be very relevant to all of us because we've all had those shakeups in our life. Now, I want to uh, set a little bit of context for us with, with this study for the next nine weeks. So you can open your Bibles to Daniel chapter 1. And this actually occurs in 605 B.C., 605 BC, King Nebuchadnezzar comes into Israel and decides he's going to exile 25% of the Israelite population to Babylon. Now, this will be one of many attacks on the Israelites. In fact, it'll result in 20 years in the destruction of the walls around Jerusalem, um, killing many Israelites, destroying the temple itself. But in this case, he's taken 25% of Israel captive. And this is what it says in verse 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put in the treasure house of his God. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz chief of his court officials to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility. Young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table, and they were to be trained for three years, and after that, they were going to enter the king's service. I want to pause there real quick. King Nebuchadnezzar is going to take the most qualified in his eyes to Babylon itself, and he's going to spend three years attempting to reprogram, brainwash these young teens and young adults so that they eat, sleep, and breathe Babylon. Like any remnant of Israel in them, of their culture, any heritage of their faith, he wants to completely erase And then it says this in verse 6. Among those who were chosen were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief official gave them new names. To Daniel, the name Belteshazzar. I feel like someone should name their kid that. That's a pretty awesome name. Belteshazzar Bowersocks. I don't know. (laughs) To to Hananiah. That's awful. To Hananiah Shadrach to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. So Daniel, at this stage in his life, is, as scholars tell us, is 15 years old. So at 15 years old, he and his friends are taken from the land of Israel, placed in this country where they don't speak the language, where they, they are far from their family, will probably never see them again, and into a culture that is trying to brainwash them and strip their very identity as Israelites and as children of God. And it blows me away because he's able to walk through this period with unshakable faith. I don't know if you remember what it was like being 15, but it was hard enough for me to go from junior high to senior high, let alone like if you put me in another country away from my family. I'm a mama's boy, so mama wouldn't have been happy about that. I wouldn't have been happy about that. It would have just been bad overall. But he's able to use this adversity in his life to strengthen his faith. 
So the question becomes, how can you succeed and thrive in your faith when nobody around you believes what you believe? How can you have unshakable faith in the face of so much adversity? I think one of the things we've been talking about over the past few months actually is relevant today. And and I think that's because God is not done teaching me or us this. That it comes down to perspective. Part, Part of having unshakable faith is a change in our perspective in the way we look at the world. Like I mentioned earlier, you notice how when things are going really well, it's easy to praise God, but when things aren't going so well, we, we kind of, if you're like me, we wallow a little bit. And I don't always say things, say this out loud, but sometimes internally I'm like, why me, God? Like, why am I experiencing this hardship? Why, why am I going through these obstacles? But on the flip side, we, we don't ask when things are going super well for us, you know, when we're getting that job promotion and the family is, is growing and, and our kids are getting straight A's. We don't ask why me, we're like, why not me? Like, of course, I, I've been working hard for this. I, I've, I deserve this opportunity. Why not me, God? And I think there's, there needs to be a breakdown in that perspective because when God tells us to follow him, he doesn't promise that we're not going to face hardship. He doesn't promise that we're not going to face adversity. In fact, right before Jesus is about to be crucified and beaten and killed, he says this to his disciples. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. Not you might have trouble, or a few of you might hit a few speed bumps, but you will have trouble. So when we're going through hard times, the question is not why me, it's why not me? I'm promised adversity. I'm promised that I'm going to face these trials. I shouldn't be surprised by what hits me. But do you notice how God, even at the the first chapter, uses ungodly rulers like King Nebuchadnezzar for his purposes? You know, this guy who's going to come in and destroy temples and destroy walls and tear families apart and exile young teenage boys to to Babylon. You notice how he uses that? And he uses this ungodly circumstance of the exile, of families being torn apart and killed and separated. He uses that for his purposes. Now, I, I didn't say that he causes it. Or, or that he is, he is the motivator behind it, but he does use it. Pastor Rick Warren describes it this way. He says, regardless of whatever's shaking you up, God wants to use it for good. Regardless of whatever's shaking you up, God wants to use it for good. It's, it's why Paul, in his letter to the Romans, wrote, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purposes. Pain and hardship is, is just, it's a reality of the space we live in. You know, I look at, I look at my son, who, uh, Henry's a year and a half old now, and he'll walk around and he'll uh, try to put his finger into power outlets at home. That's like his new thing. And I've, I've got like the spidey sense where I can kind of see him going there. And I've been pretty good. He hasn't put his whole finger in there yet. Just part of it. Um, but the thing I'm not very good at catching Henry at is eating dirt. 
So we have plants all over our house. We love plants. And I'll turn away for one second, and I'll look back, and his face is covered in dirt. He swallowed like fistfuls of plant fertilizer. <laughs> I just can't get ahead of this. Now, I don't cause that for my son. You know, I don't encourage him like, hey, see that power outlet? Just go put your pinky in there. Or I, I, don't, put a, I don't put a plate down in front of the plant with a fork so when, he, when he's hungry for a mid-afternoon snack, he can have some fertilizer. But that's not how I work. But I also don't remove those power outlets in my house, and I don't remove the plants in the house because those plants and those power outlets, those are just realities of the space that we live in. They are a part of the house. Pain and hardship and discomfort and adversity, those are realities of the space that we live in. They come with, with just the fact that we live in a broken and a fallen world. But regardless of whatever's shaking us up, God wants to use it for good. Now, we can play the blame game real quick. We can point fingers and say, well, this, this causes most of the problems in my life or, or this over here. But you know what the biggest cause of problems in your life really is? It's you. Yeah, it's you. Because we are all born with this bent to sin. We're all born with selfishness. We're, we're all born into this. It's why my son, at a year and a half year, years old, thinks it's fun to steal toys from babies who, who can't steal it back. We're born into sin. We're born with this bent to sin. But we can give credit where credit is due. You know, the world itself causes problems for us. When Adam and Eve sinned, they introduced death and disease and decay into the world. The world itself causes problems for us. And can we talk about Satan real quick? You know, the devil, the accuser who wants nothing more than to see your world shaken up and you lose your faith and your trust in who God says he is, who causes more problems in your life than you can count. See, we cause problems in our world. The world causes problems in our world. Satan causes problems in our world. And yes, sometimes God allows problems or causes problems, but God loves you too much to let those problems have the final say over your life. Regardless of what you're going through, God wants to use it for good. So we have to begin to change our perspective. And we have to, we have to move forward realizing that part of the reality of the space that we live in is that adversity will come, but God wants to use it for our good. Lisa Turker says it like this. She says, if I can find it in my notes, I know God will never forsake me, but he will go to great lengths to remake me. I know God will never forsake me, but he will go to great lengths to remake me. And so Pastor Rick Warren, with this in mind, knowing God can use adversity, knowing he can use struggles in our life for good in our life, outlines five reasons why God might allow a shakeup into our lives. And so I want to hit those. The first one being that sometimes God shakes things up to inspect me. Sometimes God shakes things up to inspect me. It was so embarrassing having to call my parents and my in-laws and tell them that I had lost a job as a window cleaner. I, I had a college degree, and I, I had to give them a, a call, and it was, especially my in-laws, it was humiliating. And I, I personally, I, I get very concerned with people's thoughts of me and, and the image that I project, and so that was just like worst case scenario for me in that moment. 
But sometimes God strips us of our title or that opportunity or that job because he's more concerned about your integrity than he is with what other people think about you. He's more concerned with what you do behind the scenes when nobody is looking than what you do when you're standing on stage. God is more concerned with your integrity than your image. Deuteronomy chapter 8 verse 2 says, God led you all the way in the desert these 40 years to humble you and to test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. Now this is about the Israelites wandering in the desert, but it applies to today that sometimes God shakes up our world to inspect us. Second reason is that sometimes God shakes things up to correct me. Hebrews 12, 8 through 11 says, God corrects all of his children, and if he doesn't correct you, then you don't really belong to him. God corrects us for our own good because he wants us to be holy as he is. It is never fun to be corrected. In fact, at the time, it is always painful. Isn't that true? But if we learn to obey by being corrected, we will do right and live at peace. You know, as a parent, I don't correct younger toddlers or other people's children. That's just not what I do. If I see little three-year-old Joey stealing a toy from little two-year-old Benny, I, I usually let the parents handle that. That's between them. But if little Henry steals toys from little Joey, then little Henry and I are going to have words. We're going to have a conversation because Henry is my son, and I love him too much to let him continue on in, uh, in stealing. It's proof that I love him. A good parent disciplines their children. A good parent sets parameters for their children. Sometimes God may not allow you to have that job or that relationship or that opportunity because you need to get right with him before you can step into that opportunity. Sometimes he uses that to correct us. And the third one is sometimes God shakes things up because it takes pain to change. Sometimes God shakes up, shakes things up because it takes pain to change. And I, I, wasn't, I wasn't planning on sharing this, but I feel like someone here might need to hear it today. When I was a teenager, um, I, was, I was born into a time when internet was starting to get into people's homes and become a, a regular part of, of life, and my, my parents got the internet on the computer, and uh, like, like many teenagers during that time, I was browsing online, and I innocently came across a pornographic website, and I, I got out of it immediately, and was embarrassed, and sh felt shame, but something in me drove me to go back to that, and that became a regular part of my teenage years. And, and I, would, I would excuse it. You know, I'd be like, well, it's not hurting anyone. It's, it's, it's in secret. It's not bothering anyone until I met my future wife, Hannah, who had no issues with that, who hadn't even kissed a guy up to that point because she was saving herself for marriage. And... Um, and um, so I... You know, I, I went a few months of dating her and not telling her because I, I believed that it wasn't an issue for her. And one day I was reading my Bible and I opened it up and I was reading a verse. I don't know what it was to this day, but God spoke to me in that moment and said, you won't read another verse until you tell Hannah everything. 
And I was like, no, I'm going to read the verse, God. And he was like, no, you're not. I literally could not read the Bible in that moment. And so, you know, I tried to reason with God, like, well, God, I don't think it's good timing, or I think maybe if you just give me a few more weeks, and you should never try to reason with God. He was like, no, you are going to go tell her now. And I called her, and it was one of the most painful conversations I've ever had to have. Seeing her broken at the, the news that I had been lying to her, the embarrassment of, of bringing this, this forward and and God gave her this divine wisdom in the moment. She said, you're going to do three things. Number one, your computer is going to go where everybody can see what you're looking at at all times. Number two, you're going to go tell your parents. And number three, you're going to go tell your pastor. And I was like, oh, the image thing. I don't want them to think that way about me. I don't want them to know this. But I did it. And as painful as it was, for that decade of my life of secrecy, it set me up so that I could go into another decade in my young adults and live with purity and live with conviction and speak to the youth of this generation that they don't have to settle for less than God's best for them. That pornography is not the answer. That purity is the way that God calls us and that will ultimately lead to joy beyond what they can comprehend. God used that pain in my life, that painful, painful, painful truth for change. Proverbs chapter 20 verse 30 says, sometimes it takes a painful experience to make us change our ways. Sometimes it takes a painful experience to make us change our ways. Number four and five I put together. Sometimes God shakes things up to protect and perfect. Sometimes God shakes things up to protect and perfect. I don't know if you've, um, I'm sure you've heard about California wildfires before. They, they come up every year as they cycle through and, and cause destruction. They destroy homes. They destroy families, cities, and towns. And I was reading about them the other day, and as devastating as they are, uh, I read that they're actually just a part of the natural ebb and flow of the ecosystem. So like if we were just to pretend there were no houses, there was no civilization in California, you just move it out and it's just wilderness, that those wildfires actually serve to protect and perfect the environment. So when they come through, they get rid of all the, the bad insects, they get rid of disease and decaying matter, they get rid of the big canopies overhead that block sunlight for the smaller plants. And then, it, so they protect it in that way, and then they perfect it because the ash that is laid down, the ash that is laid down on the ground is more nutrient-rich than the actual soil itself. So a new generation of plants can grow up through that is stronger and better than ever. Sometimes God says no to opportunities in our life. Sometimes God introduces things into our life, or maybe, maybe you're not getting that job because God is protecting you from something. Maybe he's got bigger plans for you, or maybe he's keeping you from that relationship because you're not ready for it, or it's going to be toxic for you in this season. See, sometimes God is protecting us when he introduces adversity into our lives, and then sometimes he uses it to perfect us through pain, through correction, to help us grow to be stronger than ever. God will never forsake us, but he will go to great lengths to remake us. 1 Peter 5.10 says this, After you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who calls you to share his eternal glory in union with Christ, will himself perfect you and give you firmness, strength, 
and a sure foundation. Other, other translations say an unshakable foundation. Now, I don't say all this to trivialize your problems or make light of your circumstances. I know there's people here today who you are going through battles in your family and in your school and at your workplace and in different relationships, but God loves you way too much to let those things go to waste, to let those things have the final say. You know, in the Gospel of John, right before Jesus is about to crucified, be crucified, he says this, I have told you thing, these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but here's the part I left out, but take heart, I have overcome the world. God has overcome the reality of the space that we live in, of adversity having the final say. Depression, anxiety, disease, death, no longer have the final say in the kingdom of God. God has the final say, and he speaks new life over you. He speaks resurrection. He speaks new opportunity and second chances, and he's preparing you for a place. This is a temporary stop. He's preparing you for a place in heaven through that adversity, through that hardship, through that difficulty, so that you can walk through life with unshakable faith. Over the next nine weeks, we're going to be looking at the book of Daniel, and we're going to be looking at all this adversity that he faced, all these trials and these struggles that he went through. But you know what's so beautiful? Right at the beginning, he doesn't go into it alone. He's surrounded by... Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, his friends. We're going to learn next week how they, the very first test they walked through together. And I just want to encourage you, if you haven't signed up for a small group yet, now's the time to do it, because you weren't made to walk this alone. You know, I, I could try to build a house on my own, but I'm not very handy. Probably going to get a few crooked windows and a few crooked floors, and it's going to take me a long time to build that house. But you bring in contractors, you bring in people who know how to build, and you can build a house faster and better that's on a sure foundation. When you step into small groups, you step out of trying to do this alone, and you surround yourself with people who have gone before you, people who can speak wisdom into your life, who can encourage you, who can challenge you, who can laugh, who can cry with you, who can build a family and a community with you that will build unshakable faith in your life. And so we're going to close here with a song today. And I, I just encourage you, there's red cards in front of you. If you haven't signed up and you feel God's prompting you to do that, please do it. And when you walk out, you can put it in the basket. And we're just going to respond through a time of worship right now. I don't know what worship looks like for you, but if you, you worship in the posture that feels best for you moving forward here. Maybe it's standing up and singing. Maybe it's sitting down and, and praying. Maybe it's coming to the front and having people pray over you. I just want to encourage you to take whatever posture God has given you. And I, I truly believe, I truly believe that through these small groups, through building community, that we can impact not only our church here, but our region. I, I believe that as we pour into each other, that that will overflow in, into our schools and our workplace and into our families. I believe that this can be the start of unshakable faith, not just in your family, but in Brockville as a whole. God doesn't want you to just get by in life through the adversity.
just survive. He wants you to thrive. And this is the first step in doing that.